Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. All right. All right, well, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Uh, Let me open in prayer here, and then we can get into our study. Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks, Father. We thank you for another uh, wonderful day, a Shabbat, a day that you've chosen, that you have us enter in. Father, we thank you so much, and we come here to... Um, to grow closer to you, to grow closer to your son, Father. It's your words, it's your, your wisdom, and your insight that we're looking for. So be with us today, Father, and help us to understand your words and to, to grow closer to you and to one another. Father, we trust in whom you sent, and that is your son, Yahushua, who is your very words made flesh, Father. And we thank you for the redemption that we find in him. Amen. All right, so how's everyone doing? The weather's kind of, I don't know, I've been in here for a little bit. Is it still breezy, like, out there? It was earlier today. It's still breezy? All right. All right, so uh, I'm going to, real. I did this last week, and I think it worked out all right. I'm going to hold off on to comments till a little bit later on. Let me get X amount covered. That way we have more to talk about. Okay, and, um, and then Mike will go around, and all we do ask is, you know, keep your comments on point and kind of brief as possible as you can. So, so to, uh, we will continue in chapter 20. Um, that's where we left off. And where we left off is, uh, let me go ahead and, uh, where we left off last week, uh, we was comparing two parables and how they're associated with, with each other. Uh, the parable of the master who hired workers, or hired workers to work his vineyard, uh, begins in chapter 20, and it is as follows. For the reign of the heavens is like a man, a householder, who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. And when he, uh, when he had agreed with the workers for a silver piece or a price, um, uh, for that day, he sent them into the vineyard, and then they went into work. In, we're also, we also looked at and compared this parable and the parable, um, the parable of the wedding feast that's in Matthew 22. And it reads this. The reign of the heavens is like a man, a sovereign, who made a wedding feast for his, for his son and sent out his servants to to call all those who, uh, who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. So, the two phrases that I was uh, pointed out last week that we'll finish up uh, this week is, the two phrases that bound them together was this, because uh, this is at the end of each of these parables. Thus, the last shall be first, and the first shall be, uh, uh, the first shall be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And we see that is the same thing here at the, uh, at the end of both these. For many are called, but few are chosen. So few are chosen. 
that we are focused on that word chosen. And what we were doing is we went back and looked at the, uh, how that word was being used. And we, we discussed briefly how uh, in the Greek it's uh, electos, okay? But then in the Hebrew, it's bokar. And then we saw also the association uh, of bakar to bakor, the firstborn, also is associated in that verbal root. Then I, um, <coughs> so then we were discussing both those parables. I couldn't help but see that the idea of, of chosen in the relationship of the firstborn here in both those parables because it's about the kingdom of the heaven. And we know how important the firstborn, <coughs> um, the firstborn pattern uh, all through Scripture, how it points to Messiah. We see that very clearly. So, but ultimately, what I thought was interesting, that we must take into account any time that we look or looking at these parables, um, um, not just in context, but uh, in the context of Scripture, and maybe in the context of what's happening at that time. Because what's happening at this time when the, both these parables that he's talking about, the timing of the parables are in the season of Passover. You know, this is uh, the last... Um, the last days leading up to Yahshua's crucifixion, where he's using these two particular parables. So Passover, remember, is a memorial feast uh, of the exit event, being called out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Okay, so nothing has changed uh, from, uh, from then to now, just the means how it's going to be, be accomplished now, okay? It's the same, com uh, same commands for, for life, the same voice, the same instructions, which we would call the Torah, or we see it as the Torah. So, looking at this idea of being called and who are the chosen, you know, who are the chosen, this concept. Because I, I may have mentioned, but I, yeah, I think I did mention how that idea of, you know, the chosen people, how I think it's... Er it's being used in error in a lot of different manner. And I'm just going to how Messiah used it and how Scripture actually defines that whole thing. So this idea of many are called, few are chosen, if we really are looking at these parables and looking what Messiah is putting forth here, we see that many are, um, are called, but few will be chosen. Okay? Because, again, the backdrop of these parables... Especially the wedding feast is a pretty powerful one. Knowing that this is the Passover time, that the Messiah is sharing this, you know. And then he ends, it's like, okay, all these people think, I'm sure there's tons of groups of people think they're chosen. And I think we are too. Okay, but what defines that? You know, that's the key. That's, what, or that's how the Father, what, what's the Father defines it as? So he chooses a people that will be obedient to his commandments, um, his teachings, and his instructions, which, again, that is the Torah. This is, um, this, is the, uh, this is why you're called out of Egypt. This is why you were chose to come out of Egypt, chose to come out of where you are, to be set apart, to live something different, all right? So, so the laws given to Moses is what makes you part of the chosen. 
You can't get around that. That's what makes you part of the chosen. It will never be theology. Never be theology that, that man comes up that with that's going to qualify you because you have a set theology that gets you in, that makes you chosen. It might make you chosen to that particular theology in that group, but being part of that group and being part of his family can be two different things. And it really it has to do with bloodline as well. Just because you're of a bloodline doesn't make like, you're chosen. Bloodline can play a huge part in it, but at the end of the day, it's still the commandments that determine if your bloodline is part of the chosen. Because that's how the Father defines this. It's not necessary. He uses bloodlines. He uses people to, uh, to teach, uh, to uh, unveil who he is, but that's not the end of the means. Because in it is, he's just at the same time showing you what the command, that his commandments, his words, that's what really makes you a chosen of him. And I think that's very important because I see a lot of error, or at least what I would say is error in that thinking out there. Because it's usually, okay, a bloodline or a theology. And I don't, I, I don't see that. So what that does is that it makes all of mankind has the same opportunity to become Israel, the bride, the chosen. And just to back this up, choose this day, since we're on this idea of chosen. Choose this day. You know where that terminology comes from, right? You know, choose this day. Choose. So let's look at some examples of what the chosen should choose to, and we'll finish up these parables here and then we'll go on. So what should the chosen people choose to do? Because it's the same for everyone. That will lead us to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 3019 30, reads this way. And as we get along here, I'll open it up and I think Mark or uh, John will have the mic. I'm just trying to give you a whole bunch of discussion stuff. Deuteronomy 30, 19 reads this way. I have called the heavens and the earth as a witness today against you. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Therefore, you shall choose life so that you live both you and your seed. To love Yahweh your Elohim, to obey his voice, to cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. To dwell in the land which Yahuwah swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Then it goes down uh, in, in Joshua. So the theme that's in Deuteronomy continues in Joshua. So what was on one side of the Jordan where Egypt was is on the other side of the Jordan where the promised land was. Same commandments came over. Same commandments that were given in Egypt or Mount Sinai. Or get to get you out of Egypt, to get you to the mountain. Are the same commandments that are going to get you through the Red Sea. And through onto the promised land. Hasn't changed. You know, it went from Moses to Yahshua. 
Okay, so we had kind of maybe two different figures here, but the Father's been consistent. It's always us, man, who hasn't been consistent. So, that being said, Joshua 24 says this, And now fear, Yahuwah, serve him in perfection, in truth, and put away your mighty ones, your other gods, theologies, and the way the world thinks. Okay? Which your father served beyond uh, the river of Egypt and served Yahuwah. And if it seems evil in your eyes to serve Yahuwah, choose for yourself this day whom you're going to serve, whether the mighty ones or the gods of the theologies and the Scientologies and everything else that the world has to offer, uh, which your fathers have done and served beyond the river, or the mighty ones of, or the other gods of these other nations, the Amorites, in whose land you dwell. But Joshua, Yahshua, Okay, the same name of our Messiah says this, but I in my house will serve Yahuwah. So choose this day. He didn't look at it, the Father's even saying, or the way Joshua is pushing it, you know. See, if, it, if, it's bad, if it's bad for you, you think it's bad for you to serve Yahuwah? Okay, but we know where we're going. You have to decide what you're going to do. So we must choose. We must choose. We must choose life, which is defined in the Torah, which is his commandments, the Shabbat, the feast, the dietary instructions, and much, much more, right? Or the other option, which there is only really two options here, okay? The other holidays, everything is clean to eat. You can do whatever you want in your own mind, however it is. Make up your own theologies and define Elohim by your own terms and leave the Old Testament behind. Sunday is a new day. That's the new Sabbath. Okay. There's the options. So, the voice of the Spirit is the same today as it was then and how it will be in the future. The voice, what voice ultimately will you choose to follow? So, let's continue Oh, let's do this. Before we continue, let me get some comments on this idea of chosen, chosen people, because we show how it really comes down to, to me, very clear. If you're, if you're his chosen people, you do something, and he expects something from you. So the mics, if there's any comments, just raise your hand, and I'll have John come out to you. If not, we'll keep... Keep cruising on. All right, so I guess we'll keep cruising on. Oh, oh, Paul, I'm sorry. You're in my, not quite my peripheral right there. Yeah, it, it, it makes a lot of sense when you think that the requirements of the Torah are what set us apart so that we can be chosen. If, if there are a certain standard, for example, if I wanted to be, oh, I'm trying to use a metaphor and I may get it off beat, but if I wanted to be chosen to be a, 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 a teacher, there are certain qualifications for being that teacher. There are certain things that I would have to learn. 
there's certain standards that I would have to meet. So it's not our choosing of what we think chosen is, it's God's elect or God's choosing. So therefore he outlines what these things are so that we could be set apart by what we do and what we don't do. So if we choose to follow on that path, follow that way, then we're on the path to be called out and be set apart. Does that make sense? No, I think it doesn't make sense. And especially how you, you began talking there. It's like, okay, in some sense, uh, what was it, a teacher? You know, yeah. If you want to be a teacher, that's what, well, you have to choose the qualifications that make you to that position. So, so you can see how many are called, but few will be chosen to choose that whole concept. I, I think part of the confusion on a lot of people is that when Yeshua said it is finished they feel like they don't have a part to play in any of this that it's already done I am chosen I am now part of this and I don't have to follow any particular way each one of us can go on our own way but there is nowhere in scripture where that has been allowed and God has said oh well do whatever you want and you're still chosen you know, because if you don't walk in the way, you don't walk in his prescribed ways, his teachings, his commandments. The scripture says that he's teaching us how to benefit ourselves. Yes. So if yes. we benefit ourselves by following, then it follows the whole long list of this is how you know that if you love me, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And the blessings and the benefits come along with that. No, that's wonderful, Paul. Uh, thank you. Because it... it it really does come down to even how you began not understanding what Messiah said, for instance, how he was thinking, you know, it was finished. We have to go back. All these ideas and concepts have foundations that we have to understand from the foundation on up. And we can't, you know, you can't get to the end of the book and then go backwards because the things are going to be out of place. Um, Tanya, did you have a comment or, or no, you're just running the mic? Do I have any more comments on this? If not, we'll, we can continue on. All right. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. So Matthew continues, uh, continues on. And remember this whole idea of where he's at. He's in Jerusalem. Uh, it's, uh, it's the time of the feast. And all those elements, uh, uh, like I was just saying, you have to bring in mind because these, these, uh, these seasons and have are packed and packed with other stories and ideas and precepts and concepts that, that are encapsulated in that, in that whole idea. So if he's in a time of Passover, we have to bring in the Exodus story. We have to bring in all those things that happened and how the Father interacted with his people, okay? Sometimes rebellious people. So Matthew 20 goes on. Thus the last shall be first, and the first shall be, uh, be last. For many are called, but few are chosen. And Yeshua, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12, uh, 12 taught ones aside on the way and said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the son of Adam, son of man, son of Adam, shall be delivered up to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and deliver him to the goyim, or the Gentiles, the other nations, uh, other than Israel, to, to mock and to flog and to impale. And the third day he shall be risen. Then the mother of the son of Zebedee, 
came to him with her, uh, her sons, bowing down and making a request of him. And he said to her, what do you, uh, what do you wish? And she said to him, command that these two sons of mine might sit, one at your right hand and the other on your left, in your kingdom or in your reign. And Yahshua answering said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink and to be immersed with the immersion that I am immersed with? And they said to him, we are able. So let's focus on this, what's going on here. This woman comes out of nowhere in some sense. And I, I'm not sure. I think these are the twins. They were called the twins, um, uh, these two children. But, but right off the bat, let me start with this. There's two different thought patterns uh, competing here, are there not? All right? And why I'm saying that as we go further, we'll see that. It's man's idea versus what Elohim has in plan. Okay? And, we can, and let me point it out a little bit more clearer here. Messiah just got done saying that he's going to be, you know, because he's talking of himself. I'm going to be up to Jerusalem I'm going to be scrutinized, condemned, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again, okay? And then the, all of a sudden, all this woman interested in, well, okay, well, I want my two sons to, <laughs> after you get done with all the hard stuff, I want my two sons to come in and sit on either side, you, you know? And the one thing I see here is this idea of a king, which is not bad, but, you know, she came like out of nowhere. I don't think she heard what Messiah just said here. I think she came up before, after he was talking. So I guess what I'm trying to point out, there was a mindset that the Messiah is just going to come into Jerusalem and take over, you know, which there was to be a king, and we know that a king is to be, but not in the not in the same manner how Elohim set it down, how it was going to happen. So I see that happening here as well. And two, if you have any comments, please raise your hands. So the mother to the two twins wants her sons to be co-rulers with the king. But he kind of said, in some sense, Messiah, he's, to me, he's entertaining this whole concept. He goes, well, are you going to be able to do what, what I have to do here? You know? Yes, sister. Yeah, basically the the situation comment of where yeah, you were talking, talking about the situation comment of where you were talking about the uh, they wanted to have it after the fact. Yes, it's just like the uh, tale that it has been written where he was walking on the road and the rich man came up to him and says, "How does he get salvation?" Mm -hmm. All right, he said, "That give just up. happened here." Can you give up your life, basically? You can look at it as in a physical and a spiritual when he spoke in his parables. And uh, basically it's saying, um, can you give up everything for me? Uh, can you give up all your worldly desires for me? And that's basically what she wanted her two sons to be able to do. To get everything they have, you know, somewhat. And basically, you know, have... have it without going through, you know, life, going through 
uh, humbleness yes. and, and meekness, you know, following him. Just have your cake and eat it too. It doesn't work that way. God never promised that when his son went to the cross that it would, our lives would be a bed of roses without thorns. Exactly. So. No, very well. Thank you, sister. And we have Barry in the back here. So in some ways, as the mic's making its way back to Barry, Messiah's response to the woman saying, you do not know what you ask. Is that another way of saying, you don't know what you're talking about? Are you sure you know what's going on here? Barry. That's exactly along the lines I was going to say. There's the the scripture that talks about the, does a king, uh, does a king um, not count the cost while the army is a long way off? Mm Mm-hmm. And, and see, well, they have 10,000, we have 5,000, we have enough to be able to battle them. Uh, while, the, while the other army is still a long way off, he sends messengers to negotiate. It's, it's a concept of some, some people don't take a moment to count the cost. Don't think of, of they, they look at uh, the end result, we're gonna win, they don't, they don't even count the cost of what the war is going to be. You got five men with with swords, and they're going to fight the hundred people coming. Mm. No counting of the cost. Yeah. No, and that's interesting. Thank you, Barry. Even in the simplest form, uh, Barry, I would say too. How many times? And I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, be um, you agree to something, and maybe you like, oh, afterwards, I could have should have cut my mouth shut. You, you know, that type of thing. You get ahead of yourself without thinking, oh. There's this, 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 and that part. You, you know what I mean? So it's, it's a good thing, you know, to sit back and evaluate these things. Now, um, something else I see that's here, it's kind of interesting. Um, he, he's using figure of speech here. It's like a drink, uh, to drink this cup and to be immersed with this immersion. Those are kind of interesting concepts. And again, maybe that's something we can entertain um, maybe later on. But the, that, especially with the immersion, he's using that concept. And we, he's talking about something specific. You know, he's not talking about something abstract here. He's talking about the immersion and the cup that he's going to drink. But he's physically going to be doing something. You know, you know what I'm saying? And I know coming up, Shavuot, we, uh, uh, we do a community mikvah. And it is, you know, it's to show what's going on inside, but it's meant for us to, the action, I think the action of just coming in baptism, more important, going under the water. Because in some ways, you see, it's that action that you're taking for yourself. Yes, Father, I need to clean up my act some more this year. Please help me in reuniting. You know what I'm saying? That's the real important part to me sometimes. Recognize that and wanting to change that going under the water, and then what you do after you come up out of that immersion or having that. So maybe we can uh, touch upon that uh, a little bit more as Messiah talks uh, or goes on here. So if there's nothing more, we can continue as he goes into Jerusalem. Matthew 20, 23. And he said to them, you shall indeed drink my cup, and you shall be immersed with the immersion that I am immersed with. So just right there. So if we're following Messiah, in some ways, we're all immersed 
with that same type of immersion, right? Because if we're truly going to follow Messiah, then we're going to be immersed with those commandments and those things that we should continually work in our lives. It's the same thing, I think. But to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to give, but it is for those whom it has been prepared for by my Father. There's so many interesting things that I did want to go down. Even this idea of prepared for my Father. As soon as I read this idea of being prepared, remember that pops up in Jonah. You know, when Jonah was, he, he was thrown off the boat, it says that Yahuwah prepared a fish to swallow. And it's like, that's kind of interesting, that type of terminology. So, um, so there's a lot of different places. Uh, that's not quite where I want to go, but I just wanted to point that out. Just, there's, I, I, what my hope is, as you're reading Scripture, things that you read remind you of something else, hopefully in the Old Testament, and you run back there, and the Father feeds you and helps you grow and think of things um, maybe in a more Hebraic way and grow closer to him. Barry. Sorry, i got to help you get further into the forest. <laughs> <laughs> um, about the thing with Jonah, I've considered and thought about this greatly. People say whale. Well, the scripture doesn't say whale. It says fish. It says fish, yeah. big fish. It occurs to me they threw him into the water and the waves were going. He had to have drowned. He had to have drowned. Fish swallows him up. We're no longer worrying about him having air being a yeah. big enough fish to breathe for three days, coughs him up on the gra- up on the shore. God puts life back into him. Why mm-hmm. wouldn't? Why wouldn't? Why would we say that God couldn't give the man after three days life again? I, I, that's, I that's, actually, uh, uh, I'll, I'm going to agree with you real quickly on why. If you read the prayer of Jonah real closely. It almost professes that he died, if you read it real closely. It makes it, makes it fit together. And what a great example of Messiah showing himself to that. Not just going in the tomb and coming out of the tomb, but that whole concept of being dead and being alive again, you know? So, uh, Paul, did you have your hand up? No? So, so there's, uh, there's all kinds of interesting things that... Uh, in the smallest forms that I believe the Father will bring out to you as you're reading Scripture and, uh, and, and studying more and more. Then the ten, and then, okay, after this, then the ten heard it. Uh, they were displeased at the two brothers. So <laughs> what they were asking kind of agitated the, the others, 12, or the other ten that were there. And that might be something with the, again, you have ten and two. Where's John. Come on, John, this is a perfect opportunity for you. The whole idea of remember Israel as a nation was divided. You ended up with 10 in the north and two, <laughs> two in the south. I don't know. I tend to believe there's so much more, and all these stories are recorded specifically for certain reasons. And that well could be a, a, a big unveiling there in the simplicity that's going there. But it shall not be so But interesting here, even if it is that concept he's clarifying here. So Yeshua called them there and said, you know the rulers of all the nations and all those goyim and how they behave. 
um, are masters over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. But it shall not be among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first, remember the first shall be last, the last will be first. Whoever wishes to be first among you, let him be your servant. Even as the son of Adam did not come to serve, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is kind of interesting. The last shall be first and the first shall be last. So you can see how even as he continues on, we get an example of what Messiah maybe was talking about when he says about that concept. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Um, so the, the last shall be first and the, uh, and the first last. To be first, then, if you want to be first, you've got to be second, right? <laughs> According to his standards, right? you really want to be top dog with the Almighty, be the second, not the first. And that will make you first with him, right? <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of interesting. And actually, that's what brought to my mind, maybe some of you, this can probably show my age because I'm turning 50 this year. But do you guys remember Chippendale, that old cartoon, the two chipmunks? And they were just overly polite to each other. No, after you, no, after you, after you. I just was thinking, that's that concept. They're, they were competing so much to be that, to serve one, serve each other there. No, you first. No, you first. No, you first. Wouldn't that be interesting if the world kind of changed and became like that? You know? Everyone wanting to be second so they could be first. I don't know. Silly? Yes, maybe, but I think it is. It's kind of interesting. So, if there's nothing else, we can, let me see, whether time, yeah, let's continue on with the parable where we're at. And Matthew 20 goes on, 29, and as they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, and see, two blind men sitting by the way, having heard that Yeshua was passing by, cried out, saying, have compassion on us, O master, son of David. And the crowd rebuked them, and, uh, uh, rebuked them that they should be silent. But they cried out all the more, saying, Have compassion on us, Master, Son of David. And Yeshua stopped and called them and said, What do you wish me to do for you? They said to him, Master, that our eyes be open. And having been moved with compassion, Yeshua touched their eyes, and immediately their eyes received sight and they followed him. So there's a lot that we can dig out here. We got Jericho. Kind of Jericho I kind of want to talk about because I think it plays a part in here. But something else, I, um, oh, where was it that I was looking? Oh, the other interesting thing, twice here, these, uh, these blind men that can't see, all right, and they're saying son of David. Okay, why would they be using that term? Would they be a foreign people, or would they be using terminology that they didn't know who the son of David would be? My guess, they have to have a Hebrew background, Jews, for sure, because no distant person that has never known the Torah or, or the God of Israel would be 
using that terminology. I don't see it because this terminology holds weight because it's the David was one of the kings of Israel. So, you know, so I, I would speculate these, these blind here were of Jewish descent or Israeli descent, somewhere Hebrew or Hebrews somewhere along the line because of how they spoke. Barry. I'm asking because I don't know for certain, but isn't there a prophecy that says the Messiah would come from the lineage of David? From Jesse, yes, we, we have that concept. So, yes, so that's what I'm saying. Even deeper there, like I'm glad you mentioned that, Barry, you would see that, okay, they're, they're using terminology that's based on some kind of history, and that only history has to do with uh, Israel people. So it wouldn't be, he wouldn't be, a, these people wouldn't be foreign, you know, unless they were at one point became proselytes, right, and followed after. So, so that's just something the way out as you're reading scripture. So, but here's something though, and as they were leaving Jericho, so this gives us a time and shows us where he's at. Remember, he's on his way to Jerusalem and he's at Jericho and, um, and this is perfect because I got Jerry here I can probably help us out if we miss anything. I think um, it's important to know, uh, first of all, um, what happened at Jericho? What happened at Jericho? Yeah. We know Yahshua visited many places, but only certain places are are recorded specifically. And I think that's done purposely because I think that plays a part in uh, Messiah's ministry and all of who he is, okay? So uh, go ahead and uh, some of the, I'll have a list here and if I miss anything, oh, Polly, go for it. I left my notebook and Bible today, but I've been looking at Jericho and I'm not going to have the scripture references, but I was looking up that it was, it was pronounced that the city of Jericho should not be rebuilt after it was taken down. Correct. And I will not get the name right right now of the individual that came anyway after about 400 years and thought it had laid rest long enough so it was rebuilt again. So it's interesting that he's even there, and the purpose that he would be there would probably be a message of repentance for those that were dwelling in a place that was not to be rebuilt anyway. Yeah, and it's interesting because about that, the prophecy is about the, what the firstborn, whoever built that city, by the time the gates are up, the first bo- his firstborn would die? Or... His his for, whoever rebuilt it, his firstborn son would die at the laying of the foundation, and his youngest would die at the, at gate, the, yeah, at the gate. And that is exactly okay. what took place. But then someone comes along and says, well, it wasn't by coincidence. It's just coincidence that that happened. Yeah, yeah. That's not because of the word of the Lord. And then I could go on from there, but yes, you're right. So that, see, see, what I'm talking about is that we need to understand what happens in these places because when the word... Here, it's all the way in the New Testament, Messiah is there. I think it all plays a part in what he's all about. Mark. So when Yeshua is coming to Jerusalem to suffer on the stake, he's coming, he enters in Jerusalem on the 10th day of the first month. But the last city that he's in before he ascends is Jericho. Mm-hmm. 
The last city he's in before he ascends up is Jericho. See, that's interesting. So I'm glad. So um, I had some other interesting things about Jericho that I think will play a part into this. Thank you, guys. Um, so it's in the same general area where Jericho is, Okay. It's the crossing of the Jordan in some ways. I know Jericho's over here, but it's in this huge general area, wouldn't you say? So the crossing of the Jordan, and when you're talking about the crossing of the Jordan, okay, immediately everyone's thinking John the Baptist, right? It's interesting, this is where John the Baptist's ministry began. Or even, let's go back further, okay? Uh, at the crossing of the Jordan in this same general area, before Joshua, it was uh, Eliyahu, Elijah. He crossed back and forth. And Elisha, his uh, protege, became in place. That's where his ministry stopped. That's where Elijah's ministry ended. But his one to take over started. All in this area of Jericho. Then Joshua. It's the first city, if I remember correctly. Correct me, Jerry. First city that they conquered. Right? When they were in the promised land. So they had, so you can already see the impact of Jericho behind this whole story. And the Messiah is right there as well. Because remember, that's where John the Baptist began his, his ministry, or at least recorded for us to see his ministry. And that's the same place where John the Baptist, like Elijah, passed it off to who? Yeshua. The Messiah at the same place. So he's in the same general area where he kind of began his ministry. And like Mark pointed out, it's the last place he was, and he went up to Jerusalem. Got some more? So it says, as they were leaving Jericho to head up to Jerusalem, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men sitting by the road, hearing Yeshua was passing by, cried out, Lord, have mercy on us. And there's the part Polly talked about, uh -huh. <laughs> mercy and repentance happening here just at the edge of Jericho. That's awesome. Thank you. Go ahead, Polly. So if, if, I'm not, if I'm not incorrect on this, this is where Eliyahu or Elijah also was when he made the proclamation about the rain because he did not even want to go to that location because he knew this isn't even a place that this should be rebuilt. Why would I even want to be there? Mm. But the father had sent him there because this king that had rebuilt it was saying, no, this, you know, 400 years has passed. This is just not, this is just coincidence that your oldest and youngest son died. Mm. And so Eliyahu comes to say, no, it is not coincidence. And when they ask him who's greater, the master or the teacher, and the comment is uh, the teacher. And he says, well, not so, because Moses said, it shall not rain if you do not keep my commands and all of these things. And look, it's been raining all this time. This is, what, this is why Eliyahu declares, because you have done this, now it shall not rain for uh, an ex you know, until yeah, I, the, yeah. For the amount of and time. And then the rest of the story, yeah. So yeah. interesting. Thank you, Polly. So... We did this Jericho thing. Uh, again, the main point is like these places have a lot of history, and I believe even in the New Testament, it's recorded there for us to see. So we take that pattern of what Messiah has been doing or, or what, he's, what he did, 
and following him there. And the way I see it, everywhere Messiah is going, especially here in Jericho, he's here in Jericho and he's picking up all the history, everything that has been done, and he's going to go up to Jerusalem. So that means everything that's been written and from Genesis up to the Messiah is truth, and it's all part of Yeshua, and that means when he rose back up again, he still had it with him. That whole history comes along with him. We can't just disregard it off to the side. Now, uh, with the blind men, he called them, um, he called them, and they followed him. All right? You notice that that's kind of important. They saw, their eyes were open, and what did they do? They followed after the Messiah. They did what he did after they were able to see Paul. We'll get you, Paul, and then we'll close. I think it's interesting that they actually saw him before they could see, in the sense that here are these blind men recognized him as son of David and asking that the son of David would have mercy on them. It's kind of like what it says in, in Psalm uh, uh, 33, 22, let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us according as we have hope in thee. So here it is, they're asking for their eyes to be open. When their eyes are open, then they follow. I mean, I kind of think, at least for me, that was my prayer being raised in Christendom, is that I wanted my eyes to be open to see. Mm. You know, from not from a literal physical blindness, but from spiritual blindness. And if we already think that we see and that we know it all, like everyone else who had physical sight, they were looking for something else. And here are these blind men that recognize Yeshua as the son of David, and they're asking that their eyes would be, be open. open. That's awesome. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. So it is, we can see how, I mean, everything around Messiah is awesome, if you really look at it. So just to... Uh, quickly uh, sum up really what we what we were looking at you know they came and followed him and that's doing what he did so uh, Messiah did he not call to him he called to him come here so many were called and they were chosen another way uh, is to see that again that many are called and and few will really follow so let me close in prayer, and then next week we'll continue on. Save your uh, comment, Barry, and we'll get to it next week. Sorry. All right. Okay. Uh, would you want to do it real quick? Please. I've always heard there's three kinds of people. There's those who do, those who watch others do, <laughs> and then those who have no idea what happened. <laughs> And so, you know, here's the Lord, the disciples, they're ones doing. He had to be one of those watching what was, those two, watching what's going on with the rest. You know, they couldn't see, but certainly the people on the side of the road could see and were describing, oh, here comes the, the Mashiach, and, and he's the son of David, and they're like, our opportunity for sight. Yeah. No, right? Awesome. And, of course, the rest that were hanging out, getting water from the well that, didn't care what was going on. Thank you, Barry. So let me close in prayer.
Father Yahweh, we give you great thanks. Father, again, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to get together um, as your called-out people, Father, and help us and empower us with your strength to overcome and to work out all those things within each and every one of our characters so we can become more like you, become, become your servant, Father. We thank you again. Amen. Shabbat shalom, everyone. Those online will be back um, at 3 o'clock. Come back for the shofar call. So Shabbat shalom. I'm glad you're here. Thank you.